Welcome to Growing Your Collaborative Practice, the marketing podcast for collaborative professionals. Your Growing Your Collaborative Practice host is Joran Jenkins. I'm known as your collaborative marketing coach, and I'm changing the way the world gets divorced. I'm the founder of Open Palm Law, a collaborative family law firm in Tampa, Florida, and the creator of Marketing Your Collaborative Practice Toolkit, a complete step-by-step guide to marketing your collaborative practice. To change the world, you have to reach the world, and I can help you learn to do that. Hi there. This is Joran Jenkins, and I'm here with Madison Sasser. Today, I want to talk to you about a, a brief overview of where we're going with this podcast. We're really focusing on the five fortes of effective marketing for collaborative champions. And I think it's important that y'all understand what I'm talking about right from the get-go. The five fortes of marketing your collaborative services are pitch, publish, present, profile, and partner. One forte builds on the next, so we will cover them in that order. And over the next five podcasts, I really want to talk briefly about each one of those. And then as we proceed from there, we'll cover them all in more depth and we'll tell you stories about what we've seen happen as people um, got these fortes under their control and perfected them. But first, marketing is not selling and you need to understand that. Marketing is communicating the value of what you do. It's communicating your passion for the value of what you do so that you can explain what makes your services unique. And as you develop these five, what I call fortes, they're characteristics, if you will, you will become not just more influential, but more commercially successful. So the question is, how can you improve your skills in these five areas? The very first step in the process of consciously becoming a collaborative champion is to hone your pitch. And I'll explain what I mean by hone as we go. Pitching, by the way, Everyone's heard of an elevator pitch, right? I have. I have a friend that's in accounting. She's working on a master's, and we were both talking about elevator pitches, and we're both 21, and I'm like, this is so cool. Is this adulting? This is what? Adulting. Adulting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're officially an adult at 21. You can drink. I remember that. I was in New Haven when I was 16. I was in college already, and I was able to drink, not because anybody said I was of legal age, but because nobody really checked any ID in New Haven around the campus. Um, But I didn't Mm -hmm. because I wasn't really interested in it then. It's weird when you make the shift from like talking about like normal things and then you're talking about like 401ks and like credit cards and you're like, this is so weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you asked me about that earlier today and I'm like, yeah, that's basic stuff that you don't know when you're only 21, right? Mm -hmm. Well, pitch is the same way. I mean, pitching, nobody, nobody teaches us how to do the right kind of pitch. And that's really unfortunate, especially for collaborative champions. Pitching is your ability to clearly communicate your message in a way that influences people and enrolls them in your ideas. So pitching is vitally important for any influencer. If you offer something of great value, but no one understands it, you're basically stuck. And if you think about this, I mean, Madison, throughout history, Every great business, every great movement, every cause has become with a, has come with a powerful pitch. 
um, armed with nothing more than their, their eloquent words, influencers have always been able to change the world. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about changing the way the world gets divorced. Consider that everyone you know, everyone you meet, knows over 250 people. So an exceptional pitch is one that compels your listener to want to tell everyone they know about you and about your services. It makes them really want to introduce you. They feel that they're doing you a favor. They'll feel that they're doing their contacts a favor. And it makes them feel really good about themselves, feel valuable. An exceptional pitch is defined by the fact that those folks will want to value, uh, to volunteer, to share their time, their contacts, and their resources with you. But they can only do that if they hear your pitch. It's interesting that like we're talking about this now because my mom was in real estate. So growing up, like I kind of saw her doing it naturally and I didn't realize what she was doing. So like she would have friends and like a lot of her referrals are people that she knows personally. Right. So if it's like our neighbor at the convenience store, he's working on some kind of development. So her referrals or her referrers, the people who are referring potential clients to her. Is it both? It could be. Because I know that like she has friends that she's both worked with and that have both recommended her after. Right. So the question is whether they've worked with her or not, do her contacts feel so strongly about the value of her services that they refer clients to her. And I think what you're telling me is, yeah, they do. I mean, I was online at Sam's Club. This is a funny story. I was online at Sam's Club and the guy in front, and it was one of those for COVID struck, just waiting online, waiting online, waiting online. There weren't enough people behind the counter. I had a return to make and there were like four people in front of me. And it was taking a while for whoever was at the head of the line. But the guy in front of me was all dressed in orange and blue. Well, I recognized those colors. And I said to him, and we were just, you know, sort of slowly turning in, in place, waiting it out. And at one point we were facing each other and I said to him, so, um, Gator, that was a question. And you know what that means. Are yes. you, I mean, he was an older guy, but I assumed he was decked out. I mean, seriously decked out. And he said, no, 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 not me. My daughter, she's a seven-year gator. Oh, okay, I get it. That's four years of undergrad and three years of law school. And so I gave him my pitch. Well, my short pitch, my elevator pitch is, let me think, I help folks divorce each other without destroying their families or their finances right? So he looks at me funny and he goes, well, how do you do that? Because I hadn't even said I'm a lawyer, right? Seriously, I, I had to think this through a long time. And you may take my advice, you may do the same thing, you may not, doesn't matter, we'll talk about that. But I decided that the word lawyer puts people off. I used to say I'm a lawyer and people would go, oh, that's nice. And then change the subject. <laughs> Dead silence or they change the subject. Yeah. I mean, it just was not a good experience for me. People were impressed, but it didn't make them ask me any questions or it didn't induce a conversation. Let's put it that way. Well, so I said this. This was right after I first started working on my pitch. And the guy says, well, how do you do that? And so then I started into my social pitch, which we'll talk about that. That's different from your elevator pitch. And by the time we were done, by the time he got to the head of the line, he told me that he was going to refer his daughter to me. She was a seven-year gator. So I, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe she needs a job. The next week she called me. She wanted a divorce. That's interesting that you say that it prompts them to ask questions. 
Yeah. Because it's almost like what you want to do is prompt them to want to know more. Like right. they ask the questions. Well, your elevator pitch should make people want to ask you questions, but it's kind of a form of permission marketing. So if they ask you questions, then you get to do your social pitch. The sole purpose of your quick pitch is to get the listener to say, tell me more, or how do you do that? Or, which is why I don't use the word lawyer, because that kind of stymies conversation. But when you get the listener to ask you questions, then they give you permission to talk in depth about your services to someone who's now a willing participant in your conversation, right? This is going to be funny to you because it's like a very cultural thing for like my generation, but because we always text people before we call them to be like, hey, can we call you? Ah. So it's almost like asking for permission, like, hey, like, can I tell you more? Well, that's funny because when I call people, and this became a habit a long time ago, before you could see who you were answering the phone to, so it didn't say Joran when you answered the phone and you knew you were going to talk to me. So I started doing this before I would say to people, do you have time to talk? is now a good time. My best, actually the best way I do it is now a good time, especially because sometimes I'm calling people in the middle of a divorce and if their spouse is there, if their kids are in the room, I don't want them talking to their lawyer. And so we kind of have that unspoken agreement that I won't engage them in a conversation about their divorce if now is not a good time. But you make a very good point. When you get permission, you've kind of opened up the conversation. They've given you permission to talk about why your services are so valuable, right? So your elevator pitch is really only 15 to 30, well, I used to say it's 15 to 30 seconds long. I'm not so sure that it's still that long because they say now that people's attention spans, you know, they'll flip off a page when they're doing Google searches in seven seconds. So I kind of like them even shorter, although a lot of people really can't shorten them down to that. But you really have to work on your elevator pitch. So you come up with a quick pitch. You sit down, you follow my rules. I have those rules laid out in a book, Changing the Way the World Gets Divorced, uh, Open for Business. So the rules are laid out there. You do the homework. You start pitching right away, right away, so you can see how your pitches land. Like, my first time that I started doing this, it used to be, I help people divorce without destroying their families or their finances, because I really like alliteration. Families and finances both start with F. And then I realized that's not really going to land that well. People, finances doesn't always mean something to people. So I now say divorce without destroying their families or their savings, because that really makes a difference for people. That really seemed to hit home when I changed it up to see whether that worked better. Go with me for this question for a second, because it's kind of off the wall. So you say that normally it would be 30 seconds, but now you recommend seven. Would you argue that maybe you have two separate pitches? Because like if you think about it, the first seven second kind of opens the door for the bigger pitch. Well, the bigger pitch is the social pitch, which is one to two minutes. Mm-hmm. So, and we can talk about that. I have no problem with having multiple short pitches. I don't have a problem with that. There are people who will need to do that because um, they may be doing collaborative work. There are plenty of facilitators in, and coaches in the collaborative schema 
who are doing collaborative divorces on the one hand and marriage counseling on the other hand. So on the one hand, they're helping people divorce without destroying their families. And on the other hand, they're helping people not divorce. So they may have two entirely different pitches that kind of depends on where they are, if they know anything about the person that they're chatting with, what the room is full of. Let's say that you're presenting to CPAs or something and you're at a cocktail party. And so you're walking the room and you want to give your quick pitch to someone. Well, you may want to talk to them about your collaborative divorce because the CPAs can refer you business. They may refer you marriage counseling too, but it might be more likely they'll send you divorce clients because they really benefit if the two divorce people can still keep the same CPA. A lot of divorces people get divorced and they don't want to keep the same CPA because they feel like the CPA is their husband's CPA or their wife's CPA and they've got to go find a new CPA. Whereas if the divorce is collaborative, you know, they trust the CPA. They've always trusted the CPA. It doesn't matter which one of them brought the CPA into the room and they stick with the CPA. So the CPA, if they get divorced collaboratively, keeps two clients. So you really have to read the room. Right. So What are some tips for knowing which pitch to give in which situation? Well, I think you decide um, what's the event you're going to. Well, actually, if you're going to a funeral, don't give your pitch at all. Really, don't believe that you're going to give your pitch. It may turn out that you can. It might be a celebration of life, and that's a little bit different. But there are certain events that you're just not going to give your pitch. You could go to a wedding, and there's no one there except family, and everyone in your family knows your pitch. Although, I do have a funny story about that. So I was teaching this class. uh, I have a class. It's a two-day webinar, Changing the Way the World Gets Divorced. And I taught the room how to do, how to write their quick pitch. And then when I sent them home that night, I said, okay, you are going to start giving your pitch right away. So this guy came back the next morning to the webinar. And uh, actually, it was a seminar at that time. And he reported to the room that he'd gone home and at dinner, his adult child, she was 21, was there. She was in college. He gave her the pitch. He gave the family the pitch. And she turned to him and she said, Dad, why didn't you ever tell me that you do that? I could have referred you clients. And he was just floored. I had another woman in that same class who gave the pitch on her way home. She had taken a cab. This was before Uber. And she gave her pitch to the cabbie on the way home. And the next day, he referred a client to her. I mean, he asked for her card. He apparently knew someone who was getting divorced and needed a lawyer. So you never know where your quick pitch is going to go. But you really need to have it backed up with a social pitch. So we need to talk about that. Because once you've got permission to market... They've asked you, how do you do that? What exactly do you do? Then they're asking you to tell them more, and that's your social pitch. Now, there are certain rules for putting your quick pitch together, and those rules I play with a lot because it does really should be as short as you can make it. One reason it's supposed to be 15 to 30 seconds is because elevators take that long. They don't in Tampa usually because we don't have such high skyscrapers, 
But in New York City, absolutely, you could probably do your social pitch in one of those taller skyscrapers. But a quick pitch, you know, we say it's name, same, and claim to fame. You can add the problem and the solution, or you can add what are you known for, maybe add a memory hook. So it's not necessarily this, 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 and this, but it's usually name, same, claim to fame. So your name, which I don't do. Same, i.e., what's your occupation, which I don't do, uh, claim to fame. Ah, see, that's, that's where I think my pitch excels. I help folks divorce. And what's the problem in the solution without destroying their families or their finances? That's the problem and solution right there. It's interesting that you say you don't do the first two. I, yeah. And it's, your pitch is obviously very successful. And it kind of reminds me of a lot of what we learn in creative writing where it's like the details matter. Like, don't tell me you're like depressed. Like, tell me you went to an art gallery and you sunk your head in your hands and you sobbed in front of the entire room. Like, it's the details that get people. So when you give them the details, rather, this is my occupation, this is my title, they're more interested. And it's more convincing. Um, You will find when you take trial practice, if you've got a good teacher, they will explain to you that you need to prep your witnesses. And part of that prep is, don't tell me you were angry. Don't tell me he was angry. Describe him. His face got red. He started, he raised his voice. Spit started flying out of his mouth. We comprehend that he was angry and we actually believe it more because we concluded that he was angry ourselves. We didn't have usage say, he was angry. Well, we we did that with a client because whenever we structured his direct, it wasn't, oh, all of his daughter's stuff is at his place. It's his entire apartment is pink. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a motorcycle guy. So it was obviously very telling. Yeah. Yeah. The photos, the photos depicted his caring for his daughter. He didn't even have to say it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're very right. And I think Um, It's funny because I had not thought about my elevator pitch being like that, but I think you're quite right about that. In theory, you you take what you want of these instructions and you leave the rest, but you begin with your name, your Google search category, and what makes your services unique. You identify exactly what the service is that you provide and you put a name on it. You use clear and concise language that's easy to understand. If you have time, use adjectives and adverbs. And I'm still on elevator pitch. So obviously seven seconds isn't a lot of time to do all of that in. 30 seconds might be, and you need to time yourself. You really do. Some people talk fast, some people talk slow, but you really need the timing to be more right than the number of words you use. And then uh, next you explain the pain or suffering that your service alleviates. So what's the end result that people get when they use your services? What's the payoff? Why do you care about offering this service? Explain your larger goal or mission. These are all possibilities. I'm not telling you to do all of this because it won't be all that compelling a quick pitch if you try to. It's interesting that you told me one time that I had a pitch and I didn't realize I had one. Because I say, like, I want to go to law school because I want to be the advocate that I needed as a child because my parents were divorced. That's a perfect pitch for planning to go to law school, for getting a pre-law job, for getting a law school job if you're allowed to do that. Yeah, that's it's wonderful. 
Mm -hmm. And it mentions the point that you said is alleviate the pain or suffering that you identify in the world. Yeah. And it also, you say it with such fervor. I mean, you do every time you say it. So I don't know if it's because you've practiced it, um, but I do tell people you need to practice. You need to practice in front of the mirror. You need to make it conversational. I think you told me that the first time you used that pitch, hold it to the guy who ended up being your mentor, and he looked at you and he said, how often have you practiced that? Because he knew that you had. He said it was can. He's like, that's a can answer if I've ever heard one. Yeah. But I think like creative writing helps because like, I have to write like the story of kind of like my childhood so many different times that I condensed it down by the time I graduated high school. Yeah, yeah. Well, and another tip for that is even if you aren't feeling particularly enthusiastic in that moment on that elevator, on that line at Sam's Club, if you act enthusiastic, you will be enthusiastic. It's the same thing with smiling. I think we all know by now that even if you're feeling badly, even if you're depressed, even, you know, if you smile, you will feel better. And so if you act enthusiastic, you will be enthusiastic. And by the way, if you don't demonstrate that you're a believer in what you do, neither will your listener. So you really have to um, act fervent, act enthusiastic, act passionately, speak passionately. You need to get a clearer understanding of the value you offer and the problems that you solve. Like I said, you can have a variety of quick pitches. I suggest that you write your pitch down and memorize it. Now, the elevator pitch, that's easy to do with. It's not so easy with the social pitch, and we'll talk about that in a while. But So uh, let me talk briefly about the social pitch because we're getting close to um, being done for the day. A social pitch, I mentioned, it's one to two minutes long. It consists of, and now this one, I want you to stick more to the rules because you really want all of the elements that I talk about and you have time to include them. So it's going to be your name and what you do. It's going to be your authority and that's going to change over time. By the way, your pitch as you hone it, both the elevator pitch, well, the elevator pitch, not so much because once you really got it you think you're done then that's probably it although as you mature in your profession it may change I know my elevator pitch has changed over the years but I've been practicing for 40 years so you know it's only recently in the last seven years become I help people divorce each other without uh, destroying their families Um, but it's your authority uh, and that will change because your authority is your credibility. And we'll talk about that. Your credibility may change over time. Eight years ago, I hadn't written a book that I wanted to brag about at least. Uh, and so it was not my authority at the time. In 2001, I got an award in the United States Supreme Court. That was my authority. That was my credibility. It's only an award that's only given once a year to one person, a lawyer, usually, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And it's interesting, the shift that you made in your career changed your authority, because before it was your trial practice, and now it's your collaboration. True. That's very true. And all of the books that I brag about are, well, most of the books that I brag about are about collaborative practice or about marketing. So there you go. Yeah, that's true. So then you're also going to include the problem. You're going to include your solution to the problem. You will include your authentic why. So why do you do it, which Madison's got. 
Um, and then you'll include your reputation and you will, you'll include what your clients say about you and about the services that you provide. So it's not just 120 seconds of who I am. It's gotta be all of those elements. It really does. I think one people or one thing that people really struggle to do in life is define their why. Yeah. So like, how would you recommend people to find that out? It's funny you ask me that because I have a story about that too. I thought that my why was uh, my husband's actual story. My, I married a guy who had just gotten custody of his small daughter. And we got married and we spent the next 10 years in litigation with his ex-wife. She would not let up. She was representing herself. She was doing a marvelous job of that. The litigation was in Miami, so we lived in Tampa. My husband had to travel down there all the time because the judge wouldn't let him appear by phone. Um, It was just very, very stressful for 10 years. And then we figured out that she just didn't want to pay child support. Once we figured that out, what her goal was, we forgave all the child support and she stopped. It just went quiet. It was like all quiet on the Western front, you know. I kept thinking about that book. So I thought that was my why. That's why I was so passionate about staying out of court, you know, with families, keeping them in the collaborative experience or at least a courtless experience, a negotiating experience. And then I was at a cocktail party, and someone asked me a question, and it wasn't just why, but it was a really good question. And my answer was, well, you know, when I was seven years old, my parents divorced, and my mother, mother loaded us kids in the van and moved us 3,000 miles away, and I never saw my dad again. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me, and he goes, oh, my God, that's so telling. And his reaction was actually what brought me up and made me realize, oh, no, that's my authentic why. And I had to change my pitch. For a year, I had, it was different, and then I had to change it. It's interesting that you say that it's people's reaction that really told you your why. Because when I started creative writing, like I didn't know how to tell my own story. I started when I was a freshman in high school. And my teacher's like, no, you have to write what you know. And then I started writing about my parents' divorce and people started responding and they're like, oh my goodness, like that's terrible. And it like, I don't know, you could tell that they were like drawn to my story. Yeah. And it's, and I think when you find your authentic why, people recognize it right away. Yeah, I think, I think that that's very true. That really is telling. You may need to give your social pitch a number of times. And we'll talk more about social pitch. We're not done today by any means. And we haven't even touched on media pitch. I really, media pitch is, um, but media pitch is down the line. You really need to get your elevator pitch down first. And then you need to start working on your social pitch pretty soon thereafter. Start giving your elevator pitch right away. And as soon as you've put together, and I kind of say cobbled together, because your first few times out of the box, your social pitch is not going to be comfortable. You really do need to memorize it. I posted it on my bathroom mirror. I, I, I typed it up in big letters because I needed glasses, put it on my bathroom mirror, put it on my fridge door, put it in my car. Not that I would read it while I was driving, but I'd stop at a red light. I'd make sure I was saying it right. I would say it three times before I left the bathroom. I would say it three times before I got to work. You know, I would say it all the time. And now it's just seven years later, it's totally ingrained. 
Well, because the more you do something, you refine it. Right. And you kind of take all the extra language. You communicate more clearly. That's why I like to tie it back to writing, because I think with writing, you learn revision. Well, and keep in mind that you say it out loud. You say it in your head. You type it. So you read it. Those are all different ways of learning something. And I find often when I read something, I don't read exactly what I say. Sometimes if you read something out loud, you're refining it just by the act of reading what's written on the paper because you change the words. And you, for some reason, you find better words. They, you might have a decision to make. Is it a better word that I just used when I said it or is it a better word when I wrote it? So there's a lot of honing, I say, that goes on, not just in giving it to actual people and watching their faces, but that's one reason to memorize it so that you can actually watch people's reactions. So what happens with the social pitch is once you learn it, you don't give it all in order. You're at a cocktail party. You're having a conversation. People ask you questions. They interrupt. So you're, you're giving pieces of it. Like when I told that person, you know, when I was seven, my parents got divorced. I'm sure that I didn't give him every piece of the social pitch, one, two, three, four, and then I got to five, and there was, you know, so. Especially when you're talking about trauma. Because I feel like saying, like, you know, I never saw my father again. Like, that's something that hurts you that may hurt someone else. And you don't want to give them all the nasty details. You want to find the ones that matter. Yeah, And I don't know, like, obviously, like, you want to be emotional, but you don't want to, like, emotionally dump everything onto them either. Well, you also, you know, there's a time and place to tear up, right? Mm -hmm. So I will say that quite often when I'm giving that piece, I will tear up. But I work hard not to tear up when I'm telling other stories because it just may not be appropriate in the space. Got to be aware of all of that. Because a part of it is you want them to feel comfortable talking to you. Yeah, I think that's very true. On the other hand, if I'm talking to an actual potential client, which sometimes happens, I'll let myself tear up because it is appropriate then to let the client know that I know how it feels about something, right? That's very uh, telling comment, absolutely. So how do you practice your social pitch? How do I practice my social pitch? Yeah. Well, I think it depends on who I'm coming into contact with because I know a lot of the people I meet are either lawyers and so like I'm kind of like tailoring towards my audience because like I know that like I want to be a lawyer. Right. So a lot of times I'll kind of give like my why because I think everybody wants to know the why. Yes. And it shows that, like, I've carefully considered my decision to go to law school because so many lawyers tell me not to. Yeah. So, like, the first thing it said is, like, you know, like, I've really thought about this. Like, I know this is what I want to do. Right. So, and then I kind of go into some of the planning I've done because I've worked my entire time in school. I've had a part-time job since I was 17. Yeah. So, and I worked, like, 30 hours a week my senior year of high school. And I took like a full load of classes. Well, and you work, I mean, I know that part of the time that you've worked here, you were also waiting tables at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So normally, like I kind of start there and then I talk about my trial team experience and kind of what I learned on the trial team. Yeah. And then I kind of talk about like my writing skills because I know like pre-law, like you're looking for writing skills. You're looking for critical thinking. You're looking for... Kind of like being concise details. So you know what you're doing? You're really making it part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's pr- 
probably the most basic concept about marketing. I keep telling people, and I, I put it in the blog that I wrote last night that I think I sent you already. You haven't read it, I know. But we were talking about why we're doing so much better at billables this year over last year, last year over the year before. And I said, my answer was, it's marketing momentum. It's momentum. The more you can make marketing part of your life, then the more everything becomes about your passionate why. And it just comes through and people feel it. And so your clients are referring you. Well, Who would we have call? We had um, someone who used to be staff here call and ask for advice yesterday. We also got a contact from someone who was in one of my networking groups seven years ago that was the, the gal that Austin forwarded to you and said, we need to call her. Um, same day. Um, we get phone calls all the time from people who've been referred by other lawyers, by old clients, by friends. Um, you know, it's just people that you come in contact with in your life, the more referral partners out there. Well, referral partners are the people who know your pitch. And they know it almost, certainly your short pitch, your elevator pitch, well enough they can give it for you. So I think that pretty much is uh, enough for today. I, I think we've run out of time. Madison, uh, time to go, yeah? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you uh, next week about Publish. We're going to do a short thing about Publish, and I'll explain to you why you need to write your book. If you enjoyed this episode of the Growing Your Collaborative Practice podcast, please take a second to leave a review and a rating on your preferred listening app. I'd really appreciate that. If you have any questions or comments or would like more information on my books, my webinars, my masterclasses, my toolkit, or my coaching services, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at joran at joranjenkins.com or you can visit my website at joranjenkins.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon.